Hi, my name is John Perkins. My name is Matthew J. Watts. And we're introducing a brand new podcast called Postulating Solutions with Preachers. We're so excited to come to you with this podcast because we're coming, one of us, myself, from Jackson, Mississippi, and I have the great Matthew J. Watts all the way from Charleston, West Virginia. And uh, if I may say so myself, he is one of the great minds and he's one of the great preachers. He's one of the great biblical teachers that uh, we have today. But, uh, but his outlook on life, his, his outlook on society is, uh, is one that is pretty much unmatched by others. And so I really, really, really look forward to this podcast. I really look forward to he and I exchanging ideas. I really look forward to you all exchanging ideas with us. I look forward to most of all, uh, you all asking questions from us and us engaging those questions. And so I look forward to this opportunity that we would have here together. But right now, we just want to introduce ourselves because it's very important that you get to know who we are so that you can, uh, number one, subscribe to this podcast, <laughs> and then number two, uh, share it with others and, and just know the heart that we have for our neighborhood, and our community. And so I asked the question, Pastor Matthew J. Watts, why is it that you live in your own neighborhood, in your own community? Most preachers don't do that. Most preachers don't live in walking distance from their church. Most people don't don't, uh, do projects and and have homes and and all of these things in their neighborhood and community as well. as live amongst the people. And most preachers don't smell like sheep. Why is that different for you? Well, Pastor John, after that uh, wonderful introduction, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. Uh, because <laughs> you, you spoke so highly of me, I don't know who you were talking about. But uh, I really appreciate the question. And I think I was greatly inspired, like a lot of uh, uh, Christian developments uh, by your grandfather, the great John M. Perkins, and your grandmother, Vera Mae Perkins. And I got hold of their books over 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago, the first two books they put together, uh, Not Justice Road and the Choir Revolution. Mm-hmm. I was just challenged. I was challenged by what Dr. Perkins said as he laid out uh, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, how that Jesus did not commute between heaven and the earth, yes. but, he, but he came down and he pitched a tent, he tabernacled among the people, mm-hmm. and that he uh, identified with the people in baptism and with their struggles. And that, uh, and he was among the people. And so, having been challenged and inspired by Dr. Perkins, after commuting back and forth uh, from the community for some time, I realized it was time for my, my wife and my family to move in the neighborhood. We feel like that uh, by doing so, we would show the people we valued the community where they live. Uh, we valued them. We were not ashamed or afraid to live among them. And that we would start with the people, with what they knew and what they had, and build on that as we learned from Dr. Perkins. And so. Uh, that's our story. We're sort of sticking to it. And we feel like it gave us credibility. Uh, it was a, it's a lot different when we are uh, commuting in and out versus us actually living right in the, the very heart, the epicenter 
uh, right up the west side of Charleston. When we moved in, I mean, it was on the toughest street. There were 35 vacant houses on the street that I lived on, and a lot of things were going on that was pretty nefarious in those places. So we had to challenge the media of how do we get control of the street that we live on mm-hmm. and uh, work, with, work with the people to do that, to show them that working together, we could bring about some change. But we've been inspired, really, we've been inspired by the people, by their resiliency and their courage and their commitment to make their community a better place to live. Yeah. Well, you just uh, mentioned, you started to mention that old Chinese proverb that uh, Christian community development is anchored from, go to the people, live among them, love them, plan with them, build on what they know, start with what they have. And when the best leaders leave, the people would say, we've done it ourselves. Yeah. And so you're doing that in Charleston, West Virginia. Me, the youngster, (laughs) I mean, you being my friend, you being my mentor, me just trying to glean wisdom from you. I uh, myself live in the neighborhood, live in the community, the same as you, but I, I, I felt as if I didn't move into the neighborhood in the community until my children went to the local elementary school. It was when we were sending our kids to the private school and when we were sending them to, uh, you know, preschool over here to the Christian preschool and, and all that. And we weren't getting the results that we wanted. You know what I mean? Right. And, right. Uh, and we were like, well, what's wrong with the school down, <laughs> down the street? I mean, come on. The school is right here. Let's, I mean, what's wrong with the school down the street? You know, what's wrong with the kids down the, you know, are we too good to have our children mixing with the children down the street? You know, come on. And so I really felt as if that was when we fully moved into the neighborhood and we fully invested into the community. And so, uh, yes, right now we are doing a, a work here in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, it's called Common Ground. And uh, our church plant is five years old. And we're engaged in the work of Christian community development like yourself. But it's mm, when we, we bought, no, we didn't buy. Matter of fact, Wells Fargo gave, oh. gave. Let me say it one more time. Gave us a building in the highest violent crime area in all of Hines County. The prime property. (laughs) Prime real estate. (laughs) Let me tell you how it went down. Let me tell you how it went down. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, right? And I'm I'm there for a conference and uh, a gentleman from Jackson State, from the foundation of Jackson State, and he's raising money and all that stuff. He calls and he says, you know, I, I thought about you. I said, oh, man, I, that's nice. I'm glad you was thinking about me. He said, uh, yeah, uh, Wells Fargo just called, and they said they was giving away a property. I said, uh-oh, you try, You thought about me about a property? And I was like, I know I don't want it <laughs> if you ain't going to take it. I know I don't want it, and so, and so, uh, and so he said it's on it's on West Capitol. I said then, shown up I don't want it. <laughs> and so, and so I said, listen, listen, listen. It's only one building that I would even think about taking on West Capitol, and that's that old barbershop on West Capitol. I mean, you would have to. I mean, and even then, 
you'd have to convince me. You had to push me. Somebody, I mean, all everybody had to push me into the street to make <laughs> to make me jump out there and take that building. And he said, "Okay, okay, listen. I, let me just send you the pictures because they're giving away this building, and they're gonna give you five thousand dollars." I said, hmm, you know, my ears came up, you know, and they're going to give you $5,000. And so it was the building. It was the barbershop. Barbershop. Oh, I said, oh, Lord, you got a sense of humor. You got a sense of humor. So, so. And you almost told him to give you the $5,000 and give the building to somebody else. Didn't you? <laughs> That's exactly what I was saying. That's exactly what I was saying. Uh, let me talk to Wells Fargo now, please. Bless somebody else with the gift. I was like, oh, man, because, I mean, what can I get for this building? You know what I mean? Oh, man. So. I, I think on it and I pray on it and I said, let me just ask the people. Let me ask the people. Because then I know they're going to turn this thing down. <laughs> you, you with me? You with me, right? And I, uh, and I, I, give this, I give this speech at our Bible study. I said, you know, I know we're committed to this work of holistic community development. And Jackson State called my phone the other day and they offered us a building that they didn't want from Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo is giving five thousand uh, dollars with the building, and it's down the street from the zoo, and the zoo about to go out of business. <laughs> the zoo about to go out of business, and the zoo is about to lose its accreditation. The animals leaving the neighborhood. Huh? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. The animals leaving. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then I'm saying uh, the businesses have uh, has have left and dried up. It's a war zone down there, and I'm pretty sure. Can we, you know, do I have y'all's permission to turn this down? They said, Pastor, this is where we ought to be. <laughs> I said, Oh, I said, Oh no. I said, oh, no. And so I went ahead. We took that building, and that's where our, uh, our barbershop and, and, and beauty shop is. And, and now uh, we're starting now a family resource uh, center there, and our church offices are there. And, uh, and, and, and there's just a work going on there. Um, uh, Miss Taylor is right here helping me to record. I can't do one thing without Miss Taylor, you know, helping me. You know, I'll trip over my own feet, that sort of thing. And um, but she just ga gathers the kids. I told her when I recruited her here from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, I told her uh, I'm going to outfit her with some tang and some pickles. <laughs> And some uh, and some Kool Aid and some hot chips and uh, and we go get some kids and uh, and that's exactly what we're gonna do. But we're committed to this work of holistic community development, and I know you're committed to this work of a West Side revive. And people are gonna hear a whole lot more uh, from us, and so uh, in regards to those things. Right now, right now, the, the COVID-19 situation is what is on everybody's mind. It's, it's on everybody's heart. It's, it's really, really the thought process that is, that is taking up our hearts. And, um, and, and for some, it's causing anxiety. Uh, for some, 
it's the thought that, hey, my retirement is dwindled and I'm in my mid-50s and I might have to change careers. Am I ready for this? Do I have to go back to school? Uh, this ty- that type of stress and that type of anxiety. Um, what's out there for me? You know, just having to go on unemployment. I've never been on unemployment. As somebody's in their 40s and they've never been on unemployment. And now for the first time, they're on unemployment. What is, what is this like? And so you have been preaching through the COVID-19 situation. Matter of fact, you call it a pray, praying through the COVID-19 situation. And so would you tell me what, what, what is God doing uh, with you and stirring your heart uh, right now? How, how is he moving with you and stirring your heart? Well, this, uh, this novel, epic coronavirus pandemic, it's uh, arrested the attention of the entire world. Mm-hmm. God has grabbed hold the entire world from coast to coast, from continent to continent. And basically, uh, I believe that God has uh, got the world's attention to see which way are people going to look. Are they going to look around uh, for some other resources, some way to try to uh, maneuver and finesse themselves out of this situation or circumstance. Anytime there's something like this happens, there's opportunities for exploitation, for nations to exploit nations. When this all comes out, we're going to find out we've probably been exploited by other nations in trying to purchase Q-tips and trying mm-hmm. to purchase uh, PEP equipment that we no longer manufacture and make. And we've probably been exorbitant prices that our government don't want us to know that we're paying. So there's right. economic exploitation going on right now within this nation. Anytime there is a horrific situation like this, there's exploitation internally. It's going to come to find out that we now understand that banks um, have already scraped off $10 billion of the of PPE money that was supposed to go uh, to low-income uh, and small businesses. And so these are type things happening. So for me, it was a sobering time after 36 years of pastoral ministry and after preaching basically every week for 36 years. I sit in my office and thought about that the church, for the first time in my uh, life of 64 plus years, was going to be closed. Wow. That the church would actually be closed. That yes. the doors of the physical edifice building would not be open. Yes, sir. And that was really quite a, a moment for me. And I, I thought, look, what am I going to do? For the last 36 years, my life has centered around preparing for Sundays. And Wednesday nights, and and taking to the flock during the week. And as I thought about uh, not being able to preach, not being able to see the people uh, physically, not being able to visit people in the hospital, not be able to uh, host funerals, which we do a lot of in the west side of Charleston because we have one of the largest sanctuaries, and beginning to realize that everything that outside of my family that held my life together was mm-hmm. being disrupted. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what can I do? And I had never uh, really been on Facebook. As uh, a matter of fact, I've been averse to it and heard a lot of negative things about what was happening out there. And you pushed back against me, didn't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and against everybody else who <laughs> tried to drag and pull me into uh, the social media, social media oh. world. Uh, but uh, sitting in my study before the last funeral, 
I spoke to my chief of staff that Friday before about it. She said, well, you've had a Facebook account for six years. You just never use it. We post things that you're doing in the community out there. So it's already up and running. Give me your phone. And I gave it to him. Three minutes later, she gave it back. So all you got to do is hit that uh, blue and white F and you can be on Facebook. So that's kind of how it started. Sitting in my study, I decided to, uh, to record on my camera phone a message to the community, a message of hope. And then I, I looked at it and thought it was uh, decent enough to post. And I posted it on Facebook. And I was surprised at the response. And I think initially it was curiosity. You know, people said, well, what is he doing? What's the dinosaur doing, right? He's been somewhere in a cave somewhere. But, you know, he knew how to get on Facebook. He came right. out of the cave, right? Yeah, he came out of the cave. He came out of the, uh, the third century. Right, right. He, the old manger dog that came out. <laughs> no, oh. old lion. All right, the old lion that came <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, right? The raw one last right, time. Right. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh man. And I, I was surprised by a little communion in a couple of days. You know, four, five hundred people had viewed it, and it, it kind of surprised me. Just within our, our neighborhood and in the city. And then Sunday was coming. I said, I, I think I'll just preach. And I, I preached that Sunday morning. And I said, I, I can do this. And I said, Lord. Maybe you're leading me just to do this. And maybe this will be my offering. Uh, mm -hmm. You and my offering to the community. Yes. And uh, initially I said that uh, I was going to preach twice a day until the, the pandemic passed over. And then once I got into the road, that was probably a bit much. Mm -hmm. But for the last, um, it'd be 30 days today. I began 30 days ago. I preached 46 times uh, over that 30-day period. And uh, and we gathered the following. And we're calling the people to, this is what we're calling of preaching and praying our way through uh, the coronavirus pandemic. Yes. Uh, yes. Preach and pray our way through this storm. And so mm -hmm. it's been a wonderful, uh, encouraging thing. And out of that, my daughter, who's a nurse, she's one of those uh, essential workers on the front line at the largest mm -hmm. hospital in our city. Mm -hmm. She said, Dad, I'm really discouraged. I could really use a pickup. And so can you send me something? And I just wrote her a little devotional and texted to her. She shared it with a friend of hers that's holding a nursing and the uh, critical care unit where the COVID patients are. She said, she'd like me to share this. And so I started sharing that with them. Then so well, I just post on Facebook. And so I'll do a 26 second uh, every day, a little uh, devotional on my, my, my story. And then I'll post a, uh, a, a written devotional on my timeline. And I've been really encouraged with the response. So basically what, what, what we decided is that I, I appreciate everything has been done by the medical professionals, by the public health officials, Things we've done to try to keep everybody safe. But I really felt that the Lord speaking to me was now is the time for me to return to calling uh, of a preacher and uh, and to put on my prophetic mantle. Yes, sir. Uh, a New Testament prophet to lift up the name of Christ, to lift up the word of God, to call people to repentance and confession and to challenge people to use this period to really reach out as much as they could in the name of Christ. And so... The last time I share on this particular theme is that we decided to take each of the elements of the best practice of be healthy, the thorough washing and cleansing of one's hand, uh, the whole idea of maintaining a social distance of at least six feet, mm -hmm. and the idea uh, that is the way that you break the spread by not uh, assembling with numbers of people. Mm -hmm. And so we need to have, uh, that's the natural, we need a spiritual formula as to how we're going to break the coronavirus. And so we said there must be a thorough and efficient washing of the heart through confession and repentance and the reading and meditation of the Word of God. 
and there must be a spiritual connecting, right? We don't need to disconnect spiritually. So using facial media and other means of communication, maintain a connection with the Lord, but maintain connection with each other. Because we're told not to forsake the similar of ourselves together. And the coronavirus pandemic should not separate us spiritually with the people of God. And then lastly, in terms of, of, of breaking the spread, we said we've got to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ during this period of time. And so trying to exhort the people to do that. So it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful journey. And, uh, and the Lord has done some great things as a result of connecting me with some people. You and I did some services together, which has been a great blessing to the Charleston community, community of Jackson. Yes, yes. Uh, some, some young lady up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania that I've never seen to this day. We've talked on the phone several times and she wanted to be an encouragement. So she put together a temporary uh, website, mjwatchministries.com. Mm-hmm. So she started to record my messages when I preach them live onto the website so that people who don't have access to Facebook and some of the elderly people don't want them to do with it. But five minutes after I preach, they're posted on the website. So the <laughs> elderly people in my church, that's, if they feel comfortable, if they don't have to backslide. They don't have to start sinning by getting on social media. <laughs> Get those social media with, they, oh. with, with the rest of us heathens. So, uh, oh. <laughs> oh boy, it's just been a blessing. And so we, we're greatly encouraged. The Lord has encouraged us, and He gave us the energy and the strength to do it. And if the Lord says the same and continues to give us the energy and the passion, uh, we hope to be able to uh, complete the task of preaching uh, at least once a day until the pandemic uh, passes over. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, when you started out, I mean, preaching twice a day, I was just, you remember, my jaw was dropped. I was, hey, man, you preached two sermons a day. I was like, look, look, how long can you shoot this? I was like, I don't want to see you out, you know. What did Martin Luther King say? How long? Not long. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Not long. Yeah. All right. All right. No, don't, don't get me to do it. Now, people are saying, hey, man, these guys are just having fun on here. They may, they, well, you know, what's the purpose of this podcast? There is a purpose for this podcast. The purpose of this podcast is that we want you to understand that we're preachers. We are preachers, but for so long, particularly black preachers in the black community have been more than just preachers. We have been people who have had to do a lot of things. I won't say everything, you know, that's too dogmatic, but we've had to do a lot of things and be a lot of things to to people. Uh, more like a Utility knife. That was your word for it, right? Uh, a utility knife. And so, but most of all, what you and I are doing as part of this utility knife is that we are thinking. We're thinking about the situation that lies ahead, the situation that uh, exists in front of us, and the resources that are around us and how can we solve some of these problems that, uh, that we face today. And so, you know, I want the people who hear us and engage with us to know that this is the reason that this podcast has come together. We're, we're not just, we're going to laugh, <laughs> we're going to have fun, but for the most part, we're going to really engage a thought process 
we kind of laid that out well, not only are we preachers, but we are also pastors. Yes, sir. Uh, and we are responsible for a flock of people, you know, that the Lord has put uh, under our care to watch over their souls. And since their souls are in their bodies, we've got to watch over their bodies as well. And our churches are in communities and neighborhoods. And so we have a responsibility for our, our families, our own wives, children, immediate family, extended family, for the flock and their families and for the community and, and the neighborhood. And so like the, the pastors of old, from the slave plantation to Jim Crow segregation in the South, that we've had to feel the pain of the people, mm-hmm. and try to comfort the people, console yes. them during that pain, but also to encourage them and to challenge them and to stir their faith, to continue to look to the Lord, the God of their salvation for help and for strength. We're, try- we're also trying to be what the African-American preacher slash pastor slash prophet has been historically. Yes. And that is a, a thought leader. Yes. That had the, I like to say, the intellectual curiosity mm-hmm. to really try to figure things out mm-hmm. and to postulate solutions. How do we help the people? That's How right. do we help, help them? How do we strengthen families? How do we help the single mother with the... Uh, with the, with the sons who she don't know how to quite deal with? How do we comfort even the young lady who was pregnant out of wedlock and realized that her life is not lost, that there's still a future for her? And so I believe that the time has come for us to build on the rich heritage and the historical legacy of yes. the black preacher pastor of old and then merge that with the contemporary training that we've received as Christian community developers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and realize that they're still thinking men and women in the pulpits in black churches, mm-hmm. and that the black preacher and the black pastor still has something to say. Yes. That can stand between the two worlds, right. uh, the world of the Bible and the world of West Jackson and the world right. of the west side of Charleston, uh, and, mm-hmm. and bring the, the, the heavenly perspective to the earth, but postulate real solutions to show that the kingdom of God was not something of antiquity, was not something merely in the day of Jesus Christ on the earth, but the kingdom of God still moves mm-hmm. through the local church uh, as pastor preachers uh, provide the vision, the leadership, uh, and the courage and motivation uh, to do what the Lord has called us to do. Yeah, that's that's real good. That's real good. You call me Sunday night <clears throat> as I... And we are all, you know, just reviewing that which the Lord has already placed in our heart probably early this week, uh, earlier sometime uh, the week before, the week of. And, uh, and, uh, and for me, it was Luke chapter 12, the, uh, the great parable there of building bigger barns. And, and you called me and said, hey, man, turn to CNN. I said, uh, what's 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 on CNN? Let me let me let me let me let me get this together. What's on what's on CNN? You said it's um, the color of COVID nineteen. You know they've had magic on. They've had uh, uh, some of the you know all these stars, but you ought to see this. You ought to see this. Uh, Snoop Dogg and Puff Daddy just came on. There was no preachers. There was no preachers invited to the to the deal. You know, uh, they didn't even get uh, Al Sharpton. They didn't get uh, T.D. Jakes. They didn't they didn't invite any of the preachers, but they did invite Snoop Dogg and Puff Daddy. 
And it was Puff Daddy and Snoop Dogg that said, we got to pray. That's the truth. And That's really truth. began to be the moral voice. That's the truth. To lead us spiritually during this COVID-19 situation. And, uh, and so it wasn't until after we got off the phone that I was really able to, to, to watch it. It was really something. It was really something to me. I guess I'm asking the question here. I'm, I'm putting a couple questions together because you've already, you've already made mention that the church is empty. Uh, and well, think so, about, think about it, John. Hold your thought there. Yes, yeah. Think about this. Think about this, Pastor John. Is that the two individuals hosting the show of the color of COVID nineteen? I mean, very well respected. You have yes, yes. intellectual people, John right. Lemon, you know, and, and Vance Jones, and they do great work. Right. Atlanta, Georgia, right? Atlanta, Georgia has some of the largest churches and some of the most prominent uh, pastors, you know, in the United States of America. But the thing that was so telling to me that in their thinking that the preacher pastor shouldn't be a part of this conversation. Right. And that's what's really telling. Right. Can you imagine 50 years ago? 50 plus no. years ago. No. Can you imagine no. No, somebody no, 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 no. pulling something together to talk about a pandemic no, 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 the no. black community no. and black preachers not being invited? No, absolutely. Absolutely not. No, and now that Booker T, Booker T, Washington, uh, my kids reading through the book. Spent most so, of his life in West Virginia, as a matter of fact. Yeah, mo- yeah most of his, his, his childhood. His childhood. And, and so uh, he gets an education. And he says, and as he's as he's writing this about um, getting an education in Tuskegee, all that it took <laughs> to become a pastor, you know what I mean, a call, <laughs> was to was to have an education, you know what I mean. And if you could, if you had an education, it was time for you to preach, you know. It was time for you to preach because you could communicate clearly, and at the very least. Read the word of God. You with me at the very least? But no, but no, I, I think about 50 years ago. No, absolutely not. I mean, the, 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 the leadership was the preachers and, and not even just that. It was um, more voices like Malcolm who were able to stand up, uh, who I greatly respect and admire. You mentioned, hey, the churches are empty. You mentioned... Yeah, they're empty, and now we are sending the signal through cyberspace, social media. Okay, now the church is having an impact, and which wasn't happening before, right? Uh, churches that was not uh, trying to engage, trying to engage young people before, now they're on that. <laughs> now they're in that um, that realm, right? But. What I'm seeing is that the idols are falling. Nobody cares too much if Dak Prescott gets $100 million that you ain't going to spend one penny of it. I don't know a whole bunch of people who care the same way that they care whether or not the NBA resumes its season or not or whether or not there's an NBA championship in June, when it's life and death every time you go outdoors, when your mother and your father are, are out there and it's, it's life and death. 
And so we we are now in this place now, and, and we're in a place now where the black community is being uh, ravished the most. And so as we as we, we're getting ready to take a break, I want to bring you back and, and we're going to talk about COVID-19's effect on the black community. And, and as we talked about Puff Daddy <laughs> and as we talked about Snoop Dogg and no offense to them, I know that they did and they did well. They did right. talking about prayer. So as we take this break, I want to uh to remind you that this is the Postulating Solutions with Preachers podcast, and we want you to subscribe and we want you to share with others and let others know that there are some preachers out there who are talking your language and trying to engage with you, as well as I have released a book, uh, released this book in December 17, 2019, called Commission to Love. And it is an exciting book, if I may say so myself. And I would love for you, love for you to go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Nobles, go to the places where you uh, buy your books, whether you order it or uh, whether you get it on a Kindle or digital and uh, and pick it up and read it because it can uh, help move you forward and propel you forward as we think about uh, what it takes to engage the church in, um, in this work of reconciliation, in this work of justice, and and this work of community development. So when we come back, we'll have more with Pastor Matthew Watts and myself, John Perkins, and the podcast, Postulating Solutions with Preachers. All right, we are back to the podcast, Postulating Solutions with Preachers. My name is John Perkins, and I'm back with Pastor Matthew J. Watts from Charleston, West Virginia, and we are having fun uh, right now. But as we are talking about uh, all the things that um, that we get to talk about in regards to postulating solutions, but it's not really that fun to think about COVID nineteen. Pastor Watts, we're we're talking about COVID nineteen in regards to the fact that uh, there was a a special. Uh, called The Color of COVID-19 on CNN last Sunday, and which, we, which you told me to uh, turn to. And there were no pastors, there were no preachers, there was no moral voice on the show. Why do you think that was? Well, I think it's possible, and, and uh, I'm glad that we circle back to this, because I want to make sure that our listeners, our viewers understand that even though we've had some fun, we're not being critical of Don Lemon or Vance Jones. These guys are incredible uh, resources to our community. They do a great job in trying to bring issues well. uh, to the community, and, and the show was very well done, and, and I really enjoyed the show, and we certainly appreciate the artistic abilities of uh, Snoop Dogg and of uh, P. Diddy. The point that I was really wanting to emphasize is that the fact that preachers were not included is not a commentary, a critique, or a criticism of uh, Don Lemon and Vance Jones and uh, Van Jones and, and the producers of the program. It may be more of a commentary on uh, where pastors and preachers are that receive high profile and a lot of attention. And, uh, and they're doing some wonderful work, and they're building big and huge mega churches uh, that's uh, 
bringing in thousands of people every week uh, into the services as well as thousands, ten thousand more that view. But what it, it, it's projecting the church as this very well choreographed, very well designed uh, performance of music and entertainment. And mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's what they're in it to do, but that's the way it goes across because the medium of, of television requires mm -hmm. that uh, as you're trying to get market share and as you're packaging up of what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I think what it does, it's skewing uh, people as to what is the uh, preaching uh, pastor, what really is his role and what is he doing? And so they're not postulating specific solutions to the problems of the community where their constituents live, uh, the broader issues that are affecting us, like poverty, like mm -hmm. poor health, not yes. lack of access to health care, uh, yes, poor education system. These things are not being uh, articulated when they have these these venues to do so. So people looking at that could conclude, well, that's not what the preacher, pastor, preacher do, right? Mm -hmm. What he does is this religious thing and talk mm -hmm. about uh, how things are going to be when we cross the Jordan River and how God is going to make everything work and all those types of things and not the real postulation, uh, postulating of real solutions for real problems that affect people. So it's more of a commentary as to why maybe the producers did not see a place for the style of Christianity that people are now viewing based on what they were trying to accomplish. So I think our show is important in that uh, we are true to the scripture and teaching the Bible and praying and visiting sick and all those things. But we're saying live in a context, a crucible of pain and suffering. And then mm. as preaching pastor, we have a responsibility to not only prepare people, equip them to get to heaven, but to try to make the trip as pleasant as we can by trying mm -hmm. to address some of the problems that they have uh, in, in real time. So that's that's the distinction I was trying to make. And that may be, uh, it may be a commentary on the church, that there's been no real reach out to the church, to the faith community, by the government. It certainly hasn't happened in West Virginia. Uh, and I'm not sure about how things have played out in, uh, in Mississippi. And um, and I've got to get on the call here in just a second because, you know, we are expressing that concern. we got a call tomorrow with our Senator, Joe Manchin III, mm -hmm. um, African-American ministers. Of, we've come together to ask for this call. He's been having a call with a lot of people, but he's not reached out to us. So and we want to kind of lay some things in front of him that we think that we that he could consider doing as the senator to represent our states. So that's that's the type of thing I think that we are trying to get people to understand that preachers have to be postulate solutions. We've got to be engaged in the arena of ideas and making sure that the ideas that we have are being uh, put out there. So you're telling me that we've been preaching for the most part in the churches, social media sermons that are galvanizing likes and hearts and, uh, and shares for fame and, and, and for fortune. That's what you tell them. Well, what I'm, what I'm saying is all that what you said is true. Um, and much of what we are putting out there is not equipping people to deal with the specific challenges that they're going to face in the society. And that historically, the church had played that role, and the, and the preaching pastor played that role. And that's why I think that now this, this beauty of social media, what it does, it provides a small-time preacher on the west side of Charleston like me, the mm -hmm. small-time preacher on the west side, West Jackson like you, 
yes, have ac- access to, to the airwaves, right. and access to people, uh, right. Facebook Live and other means. Right. Uh, and the, the best way, I think, to uh, sometimes bring about change is by, is by contrast, being right. able to juxtaposition sermons and messages that's coming out of the heart of someone who's dealing with real problems of real people and uh, articulating real solutions uh, as a part of their, of their sermon delivery and their Bible teaching. You're absolutely right. I mean, I, I'm not uh, able to reach a thousand people otherwise on a Sunday morning. And uh, my Easter, excuse me, Resurrection Sunday uh, message, 3.6K, uh, you know, on Facebook. You know what I mean? On Sunday morning. I, I mean, so you're right. I mean, that medium is giving us an opportunity that uh, that we haven't had before, and uh, and even then, we are talking about the things around justice. We're talking about the Jesus who suffered, bled, and died. We're talking about the Jesus who who uh, lived amongst the poor, who came down from heaven, who was poor, who came down uh, and entered into uh, Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you 100% there. So now, as we are the ones who who have this job and this responsibility, and as we bring this to a close, I want us to uh, wrap this up by postulating some solutions and talking about some of the some of these things as it as it looks towards um, the African American community. Uh, COVID-19, the African-American community, the job loss that's, that's there. I mean, you and I have been talking about the fact what happens when uh, you've already been in trouble, when you've already been in financial trouble, when you've already been uh, running check to check, when you already have uh, bills that are sky high. What, what, what's happening uh, when you already know that um, that you you um, you about to get uh, put out, and now you lost your job, and now everything is um, coming down on you, and you're in this uh, in this crunch. And so these things are happening with us. And now this idea is that um, through Chicago, I mean over seventy percent deaths, uh, Milwaukee eighty percent, uh, Detroit upwards of eighty percent. And, and so on and so forth. We got Louisiana down here, New Orleans. I mean, these cities uh, being, uh, when we talk about who's dying and who is being taken to the brink, uh, when we talk about who's affected the most, uh, whose immune system are not able to uh, withstand this disease, uh, we're talking about those particularly uh, within the black community uh, the most. I mean, I want you to, to help me with some of that. Well, I think some of the things that we need to do immediately, and with, I've been sharing with the, the little congregation I'm gathering on Facebook live, we've got to be, I mean, seriously and earnestly praying to the God of heaven to, uh, that he would come down and bring comfort to these places. These cities have been traumatized by these deaths in ways that we're not really fully uh, understanding and realizing. And and I would hope that someone in the media would realize that some of these little funerals, funeral services need to be aired on television. Yes. People need to understand that this is like a when there's a war, but we never show the battlefield, right? And so mm-hmm. people don't really understand the carnage of mm-hmm. war. 
and yeah. the toll that it takes on the soldier and how right. they come back and many times never the same. Our right. cities may never be the same, Pastor John. We're at a place we've never been before in this country when you cannot have a funeral. Mm -hmm. So people are going to be suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. People mm -hmm. going to be suffering from delayed grief, for, for depression. I think that's going to be a, a serious anger and bitterness because this COVID-19 is, is sucking up all the oxygen. It's almost as if a person dies and it's not COVID-19, it's not newsworthy. Wow. And, and so, and so, so, so people are getting lost in the shuffle, the need to be pastored, to be ministered to, to be comforted, and to be consoled. And so as a church, we need to be praying for these people now and then equipping ourselves uh, as soon as this thing is over, that we reach out to these individuals, right? That's something uh -huh. that we have to do as the church as a part of our ministry. The other thing in the immediate present also, that we've got to uh, do the best we can to educate pastors, community-based organizations, small businesses. That this this money that's come from the federal government for these uh, payroll protection programs, these small businesses, every penny that we are eligible for, we need to be trying to access because we need that Absolutely. money coming into our communities. Absolutely. We need it most desperately. And that they have to be, we got to be more aggressive in going to our own banks, our banks that's been handling our money and having our deposits. It's now the time for them to serve us, to help these churches and small community-based organization business get their applications applied, filled out, and submitted. We, we can't allow this be like the man at the pool of Bethesda, right? Mm -hmm. That's what's happening the first time the money I came out. I have no one. I have no one to get me in. Mm -hmm. So someone else gets in first. Yes. So we know, that, we know that the system was rigged, and we know that a lot of this first pass went to the larger businesses. We understand that. And the banks, they were able to take off $10 billion off the top. But this second go round, it has the target. Explain, on. explain that, explain that, explain that for the people. That yeah, how were they able to take ten billion off the top? But because the way uh, the someone had to process these loans, there's no way that the uh, Small Business Administration could process the volume of loans, the thousands of loans that they would have to process uh, to get this money out on the street. So the banks were the natural place for this money to be to go through and the fact that a lot of these business accounts as banks. But what the government did, they allowed the banks to charge fees that I think are they're in excess, right? Uh, three to five percent on loans that's up to maybe five hundred thousand dollars. And then larger loans a lesser fee, but still uh, a lot of money can be made if I make a two million dollar loan, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and if I get, you know, a, a fee on that. And that's what the banks did. And right. it's, it's, it's not like that they expended the amount of money that they were able to make. Right. Uh, and, and that's what you know, that's the way the system is. There is a, there's always a place in it to where the establishment, they get paid and they get taken care of. But now right. the second go around, from what I'm understanding, is that there's language in it that's going to uh, ensure that more of the money get to the smaller businesses, the mm -hmm. nonprofits. And I would suggest probably in most cities, the African-American church is small and medium-sized church. Very mm -hmm. few of them probably got money on their first go around. We now got to be and, making and, right and or applied, right? So and or applied, right? So we need right now to help them to uh, understand what this is and how to do it. And so, uh, if you would, you can email me at uh, Pastor John at cgjxn.org. 
and um, we can help you with the links. And so the first, the first one that came out was the SBA loan. The SBA loan was the general one. All of this was to save jobs. So this is the general loan that's more uh, expansive that you can use this money to do uh, different things. The second loan uh, that came out, this one was specifically for uh, the payroll, payroll expense. And so you can use up to 75% of this loan for, for payroll and 25% for, for some other expense. Um, and, but it had to be some, uh, somewhere in the, in the fashion of uh, your rent and utilities, so on and so forth. And um, then you had, uh, if you had 1099s, there were special, uh, there's another special loan that you could get. And then there was, there was one more for the for the uh, small business entrepreneur, there's a uh, $10,000 loan. For that 1099 uh, loan, you can get a small business can get up to 2,000 per loan, and so we can we can help you with that. I have uh, uh, some contacts with the Jubilee Fund that can that can help you with that. And so, look, you can email me, and uh, you can contact uh, us on Facebook and on uh, on social media on IG. And uh, and we can get with you and uh, and and help you to get these resources so that so that you can get in so that you can get your stuff uh, straightened out so that you can be uh, one of the ones who get your loans that get everything uh, taken care of. Now let me let me just explain this one thing uh, as the as the producers are telling me you got to go you got to get out of here because <laughs> let me just explain this one thing. Listen. The idea is that the loan is a, it's a loan until the end of the year, okay, until they understand that you have kept everyone on your payroll. And if you keep everyone on your payroll, it turns into a grant, okay? Uh, so if you fire somebody in the middle of the year, uh, that's, that's it. And so, all right. So we're closing out right now. Uh, we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for joining with us. My name is John Perkins and this is Pastor Matthew J. Watts. And we are both of the preachers with postulating solutions with preachers. And we are so grateful and thankful that you have joined with us. Please subscribe to this podcast, share with others and, uh, go and be blessed and do your best. Amen. Amen.